you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here, as always. Uh, we love having you as the greatest audience ever known to man, woman, uh, dog, child, people, insect, whatever. <laughs> we love you. Uh, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, forces Chris Foss, youtube.com, forces Chris Foss, linkedin.com, forces Chris Foss. You can now see us on TikTok at TikTok uh, Chris Foss One and the Chris Foss Show podcast. Today, we have an amazing multi book author. She's on the show with us and joins us today. Uh, she's written her latest book, April 11th. It came out 2023 Real Life The Journey from Isolation to Openness and freedom. Sharon Salzberg joins us on the show today, and she is a very prolific writer. She's read a multitude of books we'll get into here in a bit, uh, but she is a meditation pioneer and a world-renowned teacher and New York Times bestselling author. She is one of the first to bring mindfulness and loving-kindness meditation to mainstream American culture for over 45 years, inspiring generations of meditation teachers and wellness influencers. She is the co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society in, uh, in uh, Massachusetts and the author of 12 books, including the New York Times bestseller, Real Happiness, now in a second edition, and her seminal work, Loving Kindness. Her, her forthcoming release, the one that we're talking about today, uh, is uh, kicked off, and her podcast, The Meta Hour, has amassed 6 million downloads and features interviews with thought leaders and the mindfulness movement and beyond. Welcome to the show, Sharon. How are you? I'm great. It's very nice to be with you. It's very great to have you as well. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Sure. It's SharonSalzberg.com. Salzberg is spelled with an E, not a U. Mm -hmm. Spellcheck's going to try to change that. <laughs> don't let it do that. Don't let it do that. Do, don't let, don't it, let it do that. So uh, give us uh, an idea of what made you motivated to write your latest book, please. Well, like many people, though not everyone, I was in pretty severe lockdown during COVID, and mm. I was here in uh, Barry, Massachusetts, where the Insight Meditation Society is. I come up here from New York City in kind of mid-March thinking, I'll go up there for two weeks and ride it out, and I was just here for a very long time. And so um, I have written other books, and I was moved to kind of write about my experience, like what I was relying on, what I was counting on, what was supporting me. Uh, the difficulties I and so many were facing and uh, the tremendous loss in some way that so many people were experiencing either of a person, a, a beloved or just circumstance, you know, like I wasn't expecting to be here. My yeah. life was in great upheaval, like so many. And, and so I thought, okay, what, what's the thread that's, that's helping me and what's the thread that's helping others that I know. And, and let me try to convey that. There definitely. I mean, it was such an interesting time, and so many people wrote so many amazing books. Uh, 
the, uh, the so many amazing books for during this time that people were using. Uh, it was quite incredible all the different uh, experiences people have. So uh, give us a thirty thousand foot overview of this book. Uh, the the arc of this book is moving from uh, those states where we feel most confined and trapped and constricted to states of openness and connection and freedom and um, really looking at our experience. It's not so much the state itself, the emotion, the fear, the the anger, whatever it might be, but it's getting lost in it, getting overwhelmed by it, seeing no way out, no options. That's really what is imprisoning us and being able to relate differently to all of those with more kindness and compassion toward ourselves so that we open up. And mm -hmm. then in that openness, really fostering a sense of connection to others. And I realized that was that was a trajectory. First of all, I'd been on my whole life, and many of us are. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also could happen in changing a thought pattern, mm -hmm. you know, reminding myself, you know better than that. You don't need to go there. You've been there 50,000 times. <laughs> How about trying this, you know? Uh, and it just, like, things got more creative for me as I was formulating it. And I thought, oh, that's that's a way for many. You've written 12 books now. Uh, how do you f think this book is different than the other ones you've written? Partly my circumstance was really different. Like I wasn't traveling, which I was doing constantly mm -hmm. before then. And, you know, grabbing an hour to write or something like that. And uh, it was just my life, you know, mm -hmm. uh, was looking uh, within and doing what I could do to try to help others, uh, which was a massive amount of teaching online. And uh, also I was moved so much by what I was reading. I'm like a really habitual chat reader. And, uh, you know, I'd read these things as I was teaching meditation, which is what I do. You know, somebody would write, I live in a nursing home. I haven't had a visitor in a year. Wow. Or uh, I went to see my mom in a nursing home, stood outside in the snow. Wow. So I could see it through a window. It's like we forget, you know, what it was like, especially in some areas. You know, I, I work a lot whenever I can with the people we call caregivers. Mm -hmm. Those who either in their personal lives, their families, or in their professional lives are really, in a way, on the front lines of suffering and challenge and trying to help others. And, you know, when people would say to me, you know, people are not always able to say goodbye to their loved one as they're dying. They have to do it on an iPad. I would say someone holding that iPad. Yeah. You know, there's someone who day after day after day after day is bearing witness to this. And so uh, I did it as much work as I possibly could with people in the medical professions or first responders or, you know, firefighters, anybody, ambulance drivers, uh, those people. And so I was learning such a huge amount. It was so moving to me that, and given the circumstances of not traveling, I was able to put it down on paper, so to speak. There you go. You know, it, it was a difficult time for a lot of people. My sister has MS. She's in a care center. Uh, we had to do the go stand outside the window, as you mentioned. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't risk uh, getting her COVID, uh, especially in the early days when everyone's yeah. like, I don't know what this is and what's yeah. going to happen. Uh, my other sister, who was uh, born uh, with mental illness, uh, had always been in homes. Uh, she was blind and and partially deaf, and and uh, and and she was, uh, I think, cerebral palsy. Uh, but after forty years, she finally succumbed to just uh, seizures and normal health. And when we had the funeral, we just had myself and my mother at the funeral. I think someone mm -hmm. from the church. We couldn't have like a whole 
yeah, yeah, whole sort of thing. Uh, because you know, it, you COVID a funeral. I mean, of all the ironies, if there, someone died from that, yeah. um, so it was a very hard time, very dark, murky. Uh, it's kind of, I, you know, sometimes I go to the store and I'm just like, God, we used to do this whole thing with masks and it was crazy time. So, um, you, you kind of address what it happens, what happens when we feel alone, cut off, trapped and, and how those, uh, how maybe we can use those sort of experiences to empower ourselves. Is that correct? That's true because how we relate to those experiences is everything. And mostly we're not taught unless we have a very unusual skill set. Uh, to relate well, for example, to our own fear. We usually condemn ourselves or we feel like we're weak or it shouldn't be there. Or, you know, in my case, like, I've been meditating for 50 years, for God's sake. Why, why is that still coming up? But to learn a whole other way of relating is a way out. And, and that's the irony of it. You know, we think fighting and battling and hating what we're going through is a way out, and it's really not. But there's also the other side of it, which is, don't forget to take in the joy. You know, sometimes mm. we feel bad about that. Like other people are going through so much, you know, how dare I appreciate this sunset <laughs> or, you know, this child's smile or this great movie or whatever it is, but we need to. Yeah. You know, Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching speaking and training courses website you can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com over there you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements if you'd like to hire me uh training courses that we offer and coaching for leadership management entrepreneurism uh podcasting corporate stuff uh with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as ceo and be sure to check out chris Voss leadership institute.com now back to the show you know a thing that helped me and it actually you know we've had our show for 14 years and i don't know how much of our audience realized this i think i've talked about it before but in in 2000 when covid hit i was struck really hard with a lot of stuff i mean we were losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in shows and events you know we normally would go out to these big shows and interview people and uh see cs and uh, uh, uh nab show and and sema show and south by southwest and we normally would do all these interviews and uh and there was a lot of different you know just events touring speaking all that sort of good stuff and it all just was it was planned out it was guaranteed business and it just collapsed and so it was a lot of money uh not only that you know it suddenly became that the money didn't really matter and uh just about anything you owned didn't matter because your loved ones could possibly be taken from you um and uh it was a very scary time and i remember a friend of mine wrote on social media he goes here's what you do in this moment you do one of two things you either be a lifter and lift people up or you find a lifter and i was in a moment where i really needed a lifter <laughs> and i remember thinking okay I, I i'm not good at trying to have other people lift me up i i'm just i just suck at that and i so i said how can i be a lifter and i took a look at my assets and we changed the format of the chris voss show to go from interviewing ceo technology people and and all this business silliness that we used to do that seemed silly at the time i should say and i said we're going to open the scope up of the show we're going to interview authors of all walks of life and everybody and we're, we're going to create more info entertainment 
uh, and it was what I wanted to do in my heart and what I felt good doing. And I, I tried to create shows that uh, lifted and to be a lifter. And I've loved it ever since. And, and it's been a beautiful changeover. And we've had people like yourself on the show. But that whole be a lifter uh, thing really gave me an empowerment to, uh, to uh, try and lift people up and inspire people. And hopefully it worked. That's beautiful. And dare I diagnose you as a caregiver? Probably. That's exactly the um, the pattern, you know, that so yeah. many people have. And, you know, people say to me, you know, um, I'm not a hospice nurse or I'm not mm -hmm. in that position of taking care of a family member. But in my friendships, just my ordinary connections, I find I'm always the giver. I feel very uncomfortable receiving. Mm. You know, might I be classified as a? Caregiver, I say, yeah, I think so. You know, yeah, uh, it's it's a pattern so many of us have, and it was a survival mode for me. I mean, mm -hmm. I've I've always been uh, a, a bit of a comedian. I've always tried to make people laugh. I I kind of get a juice off it, like comedy uh, comedians do. Uh, it's almost like a crack cocaine when people laugh at your jokes and and you're like, yeah, let's see more of that. Um, and uh, you know, my when people call me from hospitals or going through uh different issues you know call it childhood trauma whatever you want to fucking call it is where i got it but it works uh it's a survival mechanism for me but I, I make people laugh um i've had people call me from hospital bedrooms and they're really in a dark place and i'll start making them laugh and telling them nurse jokes and doctor jokes and you know and then pretty soon they're laughing and then pretty soon they're in a much better place and so it's almost kind of, you know, self-survival mode because there's a self-serving, self-love sort of thing to trying to help other people out. It's kind of when we give, we get, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really true. And uh, I had a not very good hospitalization for pneumonia. And I wish I had your oh, number. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know who to call next time. I do. Hopefully, um, never, hopefully you won't be in the hospital yeah, anytime no. soon. But yeah, if you ever you yeah, get that uh, hangnail, just give me a ring. I shall, you know, and it's fine. Sometimes it's out of balance, you know, yeah. it is a survival mode. I really agree with you. And, and so many of the things that we um, have patterns for are adaptations and they were really smart, mm -hmm. you know, maybe for a very long time. And yet sometimes when it's your only mode or you don't see options or you're just kind of tired, yeah, you know, it's nice to have some options that appear and, and receiving is, it makes so many of us uncomfortable. Because I'm the same way, but nonetheless, when you kind of sense someone with a balance, you think, oh, that looks interesting. Yeah. I mean, even even if I'm on the receiving end, I'm probably going to do jokes and make people laugh and be self-decrepitating, yeah. de 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 self, uh, you know. Um, but you talk about some different things in the book on uh, important things to ask ourselves. Why do I most deeply yearn for, or what, I'm sorry, what do I most deeply yearn for? What would I benefit from letting go of? And what do I believe is possible for me? I like these questions. They're very open-ended and spacious. Tell us more. Well, it's really, it's thinking of um, these changes as like a journey. And like any journey, we pack in a way, you know, we're kind of saying, what do I want to take with me? What do I really, do I well leave behind? Mm -hmm. And also I, that framing kind of came strongly for me when I was actually sitting with a friend who was dying. It was, Wow. Some weeks before her dying, although because you never know, you know, like mm -hmm. if it was a day or some weeks, it turned out to be some weeks. But uh, she was at home, and uh, she they set up a bed for her in kind of this um, den area, mm -hmm. overlooking a garden. And so 
and across the garden, it was a courtyard and, and there was another building. And, and at one point she said to me, she was kind of going in and out of, of clarity. And she said, uh, basically I have to pack. And I said, you have to pack. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I have to pack. I have to go over there and I have to make that, I have to cross the courtyard and I have to bring all this stuff with me. Wow. So it didn't occur to me what she was sort of saying for about 45 minutes, you know? So I just kept saying, everybody loves you. I love you. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you're not alone, whatever. And then 45 minutes later, it struck me what across the courtyard probably meant. Wow. And I said, remember when you were saying you had to pack all this stuff to take it across the courtyard, you don't have to take anything with you. It's wow. okay. You can just go. Hmm. You can just go. Don't worry about those things. Mm -hmm. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, really, you can just go. And, wow. and that's when that framing got really strong for me. I thought, what are we dragging along, you know, that maybe we don't need tomorrow even. You, you know, know, that's that's brilliant. So if I understand you correctly, you know, maybe we should quit carrying all this stuff, this baggage we have around through life, because when it's when we die, it's gone. And it's, gone. it's probably not going to matter for a hill of beans, like, uh, I don't know, if your utility payments do or something. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't have to be wild and reckless, but yeah. really, you know, it's like no. the things we worry about and the grudges and, you know, what does so-and-so think of me? It's like, who cares? You know? Yeah. Who cares? You know, it, it, it's true though. But I'm, you know, it's, uh, I remember the old fight club scene where it's like, you know, we buy things to impress people who don't give a shit about us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, no one cares if Chris Voss has a designer bag or not. Um, you know, I, I can't even name design. I was trying to think of one off the top, <laughs> of it. but, uh, you know, no one cares. I mean, I, I, I used to live my life where I would buy things to impress people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I did it for myself. I grew up poor, so I would buy things, mm -hmm. you know, and impress myself. But I also thought, well, people see me in this nice car. They're going to be like, holy crap. What an amazing gentleman that Chris is. And usually people are just like, no, he's still an asshole. <laughs> which hasn't changed actually over the years or i would bet all those people you call when they're in the hospital when they hear your name they don't think that was a great car he had yeah right? that's true that's yeah. a really good point isn't it yeah uh they 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 they, they, they were like wow he's really funny and but then they were like ah, he's still an asshole um <laughs> But no, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of this stuff we 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 carry a lot of stuff. Like we, one of the challenges I think everyone has, I, I assume everyone has, maybe unless you're a narcissist, um, is you know you you worry about the past. You think about past things. And you're like, oh God, I wish I hadn't hurt that person or offended that person or said that stupid thing or, you know, I I, I can see how, you know, when I did this, it caused this and that was hurtful to maybe some other people's or hurtful to myself. And, you know, and, and we worry about that, all this crap that we can't change. You know, you can't change the past, right? And so I think probably what you said plays a lot into that, doesn't it? I think it really does. I think there's a useful or skillful way of checking out those things, you know, because mm -hmm. first of all, they check us out. They stay with us. So, you know, they come back and we think about them whether we want to or not. But, you know, it's kind of like lessons learned. Mm -hmm. You know, I realize that those circumstances – I'm usually so quiet. I don't speak my mind. That's a mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm going to really try to be different, mm -hmm. you know, going forward. And we fall down, but we can have that, that intention. And that's really important. 
or maybe making amends in some situations, you know, like that really stopped that person in their tracks. I think I'd feel better if I, I mean, I was just talking to somebody about a decision they had to make about uh, their life and their marriage and so on. And, and I said, do you sense which path you you might take in which you'll have the least regret? And which one you might be really haunted by regret. Wow. And so those are important considerations. But there's something else we do, mm-hmm. which is is more like a like a wholesale condemnation. Like not just I said that stupid thing, I'm gonna try to be better. It's like, I am so stupid, I am so bad, I always will be. You know, there's no hope for me. I could never change. And so it's just this massive kind of lacerating self-hatred that leads nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not useful, it's not helpful, and it's so painful. Yeah. I like how you frame the question, though. You know, I, I've heard that the, the power of a good quality life is is the questions you ask, because it opens us up, as you've talked about in your book, to, uh, you know, seeing everything uh, that could be possible. Um, and framing the question the way you, the, you said it is really interesting, because you're addressing, you know, which might you regret less or which 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 path should you consider because sometimes people don't really consider the past they just kind of go down them and they go well i guess we're down this road <laughs> yeah. yeah and and framing it in a way that like hmm, what are the downsides of this you know because a lot of people you know like hey i'm gonna go buy a new car today we'll just throw that around as a thing since we're kicking around the show uh and and you're like uh i you know i'm gonna go buy xyz card uh and uh you know should i buy you know the the big giant gas or car that the electronic vehicle we'll just throw that around for fun mm-hmm. and uh you know so you're like uh i don't know which car is going to bring me regret like uh the gas guzzler and then gas goes to five dollars per gallon mm, there might be some regret there uh and you know the ev you know whatever the thing is there and so i like i like the concept of thinking about mm, what's the potential for the most regret yeah, you know, there's also, I mean, that's a great example because, you know, there's also the possibility of considering, like, what might I have to give up in order to get ah. that object or that experience or something like that? Because ah. sometimes we're willing to compromise a lot. Like, I'll work day and night mm-hmm. and never see my beautiful new car <laughs> because I have no time. I'm working two jobs and I never get time to drive the thing. Exactly. There you go. I like that idea. I love how you frame that and think about the the different variations of of uh, result, and and by pre thinking through that, you hopefully you can make better decisions, right? Yeah, and it's just more joy. Ah, joy is good too. Though we should get joy in there as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I note to self: work on the joy part. <laughs> you talk about taking uh, some risks with what we dare to imagine. Once again, I love that line. Tell us a little bit more about that, if you would. Well, you know, I I remember conversations, you know, different conversations I've had with people which are reflective of states I've been in, you know, as well, which are more like, maybe I could be a little bit happier, you know, or, you know, maybe a slight improvement. And why bother, you know, really, (laughs) you know, we, I think truly we are capable of a great deal. Yeah, and you know, it's not because of circumstances. Even it's not because of the perfect car, or you know, mm-hmm. 
stable of cars or, or whatever, you know, because we all know people who may not have any of that and, and they seem to be very fulfilled human beings mm-hmm. anyway. And uh, there's something else that can happen through feeling connected, feeling caring, mm-hmm. um, remembering to take in the joy, not overlooking those, those small things, not being brought down by falling down, you know, but learning how to pick yourself up or let others help you up. There you and go. And going forward, things like that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you talk about is taking an interest in people we might normally try to avoid. Why, how, why is that important? Well, I think, you know, even before the pandemic, I kept reading about an epidemic of loneliness, mm. not only in this country, but in different places around the world. And I, I kept thinking, and I'd also be reading about the healing potential in social connection in different clinical conditions, you know, like you're suffering from this, or you're suffering from that. Like, what does your social connection look like? And I kept thinking, well, it can't just be a numbers game. Like mm-hmm. I only have two friends. I need 18, you know, <laughs> it must be some inner sense of being interested in people and, you know, uh, feeling connected. You go to the grocery store, you remember to thank somebody, mm. you know, has helped you out instead of just ignoring them or, considering them as part of the furniture or something, you know, and there's so much of our day. We're just in another world. We're disconnected and not even because we dislike someone, but just indifference. We hardly notice them. Yeah. And I I love the concept of that framing of taking an interest in people we'd normally try and avoid because I think we do kind of get in a selfish mode. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember hearing years and years ago, Larry King say why he loved interviewing people and talking to people. He goes, I have an innate, something along the lines of saying, I have an innate curiosity to people, the lives they live, why they chose the past they did. Uh, to me, life is like a giant forest of, of pathways and trees, mm-hmm. a wilderness of mirrors, maybe, uh, if it were. And and we choose to go down these different paths. And some of what you've written in your book is talking about opening up as to maybe making some better choices, the forks in the road we go down and yeah. rethinking them instead of, you know, like I said, you end up down, you go left and you're just like, uh, maybe I should go back, but uh, fuck, we're on this road. Um and and so to me, people are really curious. Like I, I used to be, I used to have this attitude that like, I don't know, whatever way I was going through life was the right way and everyone else was wrong. Uh, my dad was a bit of a narcissist, uh, rubbed off, I guess. But then I realized that uh, there is no right way and, and uh, people are interesting. People have journeys and there's things you can learn from them. Yeah. And so I've always been interested, I've always just kind of learn to have an interest in people. Like what makes them tick? What makes you do things? And that's why I love the show is because I have that, yeah, you have the perfect livelihood. You really I do. do well. And that's why I enjoy yeah. it. It's, it's one of the few things I've ever yeah. done in my life that I truly, truly enjoy. Like I do this, I do this regardless of anything. If I was homeless, I'd do this. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It'd be a little bit hard to pay for all the the upkeep, but uh, I, 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 to me, people are interesting. I get on a plane and I love talking to people. And usually I'll buy drinks and usually by the time I'm done, I've got like two or three rows laughing their ass off at me and whatever stupid shit I'm doing. And, and, uh, you know, uh, the wait, the waitresses or the, the flight attendants love me and give me free drinks. And so, uh, you know, but it's interesting to inquire about people, find out about them. What makes them tick? Where, Mm -hmm. what's their journey? Where'd they get there? And how's it going? eh? (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And and it expands our mind, I think, and our, and our optics scope. 
Oh yeah, I think it's great. And you know, I've had I'm from New York originally, and you know, I've had people in New York say, you know, you New York used to be the kind of place where you would strike up a casual conversation with like the person sitting next to you on the bus. Now everyone's on their phones. Mm-hmm. And so they feel much lonelier, you know, because yeah. those conversations enrich their day. Yeah. Uh, what were you saying? I was looking at my phone. Um, the uh, no, you're, and you're right. We have this. Uh, we have this social uh, modicum. I don't know what the right word is, where we're all looking at our phones. And like, I remember when I first started seeing the you know the iPads, and the iPhones really catching on, and I would go out to dinner. And I'm a single guy, so I, I usually look around at the people. I'm a people watcher, of course. And I would see whole families. You know, there'd be two kids and, and a wife and husband. And they're all looking at their phones, eating Subway, you know, whatever. And you're like, that looks like the morgue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're, like, uh, you're like, wow, um, that, that, looks, that looks fun. And, and, like, no one's talking to each other, just eating in silence and... Like no one acknowledges each other and mm-hmm. no one's like, how's your day? And I grew up in a family where, you know, uh, we we had to sit around the table. eh? We had to talk to each other, which usually ended up in a fight. But, you know, it was the 70s. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need more of that now. We need more fighting or hey, maybe we should talk to each other to find out what the hell's going on. Yeah, at least that, aliveness, right? Yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting to me, too. That I always find really interesting is my my friends that are married will text each other sometimes when they're in the same room with each other and and sometimes they're trying to say stuff they can't say around the kids but other times they're just talking about crap and you're just like like seriously like what the hell um i I remember hearing that there was a, a some people that had a car accident because the wife and husband were sitting next to each other in the car texting each other wow and you're like you're sitting next to each other in the car talking. What? I mean, there's a real intimacy loss that we have, I think, in our society because of these electronic yeah, devices. Yeah, yeah. And so there's probably more of a search for uh, a lot of what people do in there. Why don't we touch on your book that we should tease out to get people to pick it up? Um, let's see, my book. <laughs> uh, I think you know what I was. I was trying to kind of cover both sides. We can deal with the challenges and the difficulties mm-hmm. in a whole other way. We're capable of that. And we can remember to reach for the joy and allow that to happen. And if we can work with each of those, and they're, they're very workable, mm-hmm. then so much happens, so much emerges, like a whole other sense of creativity and connection and clarity. And as you're you know, pointing to uh, a sense of possibility. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be so stuck. I don't have to feel like I'm in this rut. And I think, um, you know, one of my uh, previous books was named Real Happiness by the publisher. And that mm-hmm. put me on the real train. After that, I had like five books with real in the title. And uh, this one, I think it really belongs on the title, you know, because we don't have a sense of living an authentic life sometimes, but we can. Yeah. And is that really what the search is for? Try and be more authentic with ourselves and people in our lives i think so because i don't that's why i think the loneliness is there is because uh we don't feel seen we don't feel like we're seeing others mm-hmm. uh, but we can you know we don't have to be that disconnected yeah it's uh and, and maybe sometimes when we're lonely 
that's the thing to do. You know, I, I learned, um, I learned with when in gratitude, sometimes my most darkest moments in life, when I, when I'm struggling, uh, there's been times where I've had financial trials and tribulations over 55 years. Um, sometimes the, the best time when I'm not receiving anything is to go out and give. And, uh, there's been moments in my life and stories in my life where, I've just said, well, things aren't working. I, I'm going to go help somebody. You know, I I have nothing. I have almost nothing to give except just maybe some physical labor or help, and I'll go help somebody with something. Um, and uh, that has been the most biggest blessing. And it's it's almost like I don't want to say it's the cause of well, if I when I go out and get give stuff, I get stuff, but it definitely made a difference in being mm -hmm. uh, grateful for where I was and and, and kind of basing me putting me back into a context of of the simplicity of it all and and being grateful and realizing that you know maybe some of this some of the bs i was feeding myself about myself wasn't as important as i thought it was well even in you know uh very pressing circumstances very difficult circumstances i think what you just said is is so powerfully true like mm -hmm. i i uh started a retreat center i co-founded a retreat center here in massachusetts in 1976, it's the Insight Meditation Society. It's just next door to me through the forest. And I have a house here that someone built, the founding teachers. And I spent February 2020 traveling throughout California teaching meditation. And I got back to New York City where I had a rented apartment uh, in early March. And then I was teaching, I think it was March 9th, in a completely airless room in a basement somewhere in a museum. Uh -huh. And uh, everyone, you know, March 9th, New York City, people are incredibly anxious and having so much difficulty and people are starting to get sick and people in nursing homes are starting to get sick. And uh, there we were. And the system in that particular setting of teaching is that the speaker sits in the audience in the front row until they're formally introduced. Then you get up on the stage and, and you start leading. And so I was sitting in the audience and next to this woman who was phenomenally anxious like beside herself, you know, should I be here? I don't know if I should be here. I don't know if I should be anywhere. And I said to her, because I'm a meditation teacher, uh, well, you know, there's certain breathing techniques that you can use. And the fundamental of that is that if your out breath is longer than your in breath, the parasympathetic nervous system is said to take over from the sympathetic nervous system and you kind of chill. Your blood pressure is likely to go down and you get more relaxed. So I said, well, there are these breathing techniques you could use. She wasn't interested at all. So then I said, well, you know, there's a particular form of meditation, which I kind of specialize in called loving kindness meditation. Hmm. When you think of others and you're offering good wishes and she wasn't interested in that at all. So I just looked at her and I said, can you help anybody? <laughs> and she got radiant. She like lit up and she said, you know, I have this elderly neighbor. Maybe I could slip a note under her door and see if I could go buy her groceries or something like that. And I thought, look at that. There you go. You no, know, there you go. There you go. It's it's interesting sometimes that maybe uh, giving is getting outside of ourselves. Maybe yeah, now yeah. that I think about it, and so this is wonderful. Uh, you know, and I love the questions you ask in the book, and and uh, and and how you frame it. So it kind of does help us get outside of ourselves. Anything more you want to tease out in the book, sure? Before we go, uh, no. And I do have meditation instructions in the back and the appendix mm. for people who are you know interested in that particular way of of checking things out.
There you go. It's it's uh, it. I, there's a lot of people that love meditation. I know uh, Howard Stern, and mm-hmm. I think his mother was the one who introduced him to trans. I think it's transcendental meditation, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's 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 supposed to really help them. I don't know. It's Howard Stern still. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fine gentleman. It's just a joke there. Um, but uh, no, it, it seems to help a lot of people and stuff. Uh, I think I've suggested to my mom, and uh, it's been suggested to me. But I think we're going for a frontal lobotomy, so <laughs> forego the meditation. If you um, ever decide to, just as I have your number now to call you when I'm in the hospital, should I ever be in the hospital again, then uh, you have my number. You can call me if you ever want to meditate. There you go. I'll, I'll have to look at some meditation jokes. Okay. Uh, what did the yogi say to the, I don't know, I just saw off the figure. Hot dog vendor? You can try yeah, the hot dog vendor. There's a, there, you probably know lots of meditation I jokes. I probably so. do. <laughs> There you go. Well, Sharon, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Sure. It's SharonSalzberg.com. There you go. And uh, thanks for tuning in to my audience. Go to Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss. And also see us over on, uh, what is it, TikTok. And we're Chris Foss 1 over there and the Chris Foss Show podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next time. And that should have a sound.